You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello, everyone. My name is Susie Squire, president of the Retail and Hospitality ISAC. And I'm Alex Brown, director of events. And this is the RH ISAC podcast. In our last episode, you had a conversation with Lynn Dome of Women in Cybersecurity, who shared with us how WESIS was founded. By the way, I love that it's pronounced WESIS. We and SIS. That's so clever. Anyway, you two discussed the work to fill the workforce pipeline with competent women who are passionate about a career in cybersecurity. Yeah, it was a really great conversation. Lynn was really passionate, as you said, about the work that they're doing, and they're doing an awesome job. Today, we're going to continue to celebrate Women's History Month with Lauren Dana Rosenblatt, Vice President and CISO at International Flavors and Fragrance, and Chandra McMahon, Senior Vice President and CISO at CVS Health. We're so excited to have them here. I can't wait to get their thoughts on diversity and mentorship and to learn more about how they've gotten it to where they are in their impressive careers. They certainly have done a great job in their careers. Great chat with Lauren and Chandra. And it looks like we're going to be having some updates on much anticipated return to live events this spring. Yes, I can't wait to get our regional workshops underway. Susie, I'm going to turn it over to you to kick things off. Great. Thanks, Alex. Okay, so let's start with each of you telling us a bit about your journey in information security and how you decided that this was a field for you. So, Lauren, let's start with you. After I graduated with degrees in computer science, I worked for the government. And then after I got my MBA, I transitioned to the private sector. When I got to the private sector, I started the financial sector, then went to retail. And now I'm in the manufacturing and chemical sector. When I first went to college, information security wasn't something that you could study. So at the time I studied computer science, And then right after 9-11, I actually transitioned as much as I could into information security. So I took classes on cryptography, on networking, on algorithms. I realized that as much as I love being a developer, information security was really where my passion was. I mean, I, I really wanted to learn what I could about what it takes to protect data, how to focus on it, how to prioritize, and how to solve different complex problems. Great. I love it. Problem solver. Chandra, how about you? Well, my background's very different than Lauren's. So I started out with a degree in industrial engineering operations research, which uh, way back then was a good way to say I really like statistics (laughs) and I like computers, right? So I remember being one of the first in the engineering class of Virginia Tech that had to have a computer. So we were the the first class, or that was a long time ago. But anyway, um, so You know, in terms of my journey to information security, I would describe it as every 18 months to 32 months changing roles. Mm -hmm. And I started out in the IT technology field doing a number of different like CIO type roles. I've had like a variety of CIO roles, applications, database engineering, help desk, everything a CIO does on the enterprise IT side. And then I did some executive leadership development training. And so I started working very closely with the information security team, but I wasn't actually, I didn't grow up in the ranks of information security. And there was an opportunity to move over and actually run the information security team at Lockheed Martin. And I did Mm -hmm. that. 
And then once I got there and got into it, I fell in love with it and studied it. Lauren started out studying. I started my career going through technology. And then once I got into information security, I started to study it, get certifications, and frankly, just fell in love with it. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else at this point. Well, that's great. But it sounds like both of you had to kind of navigate because there weren't formal programs. So it's like you went from one thing that you love to another and, and just kept taking opportunities as they presented themselves, which is Absolutely. great. And yep. a great, it's a great skill and a great lesson for everybody to do. And as you were navigating through some of these, I would imagine that there were people who came across your paths that, you know, maybe not a former mentor, but maybe a mentorship or a sponsor or something along those lines. Did you run into that at all, Chandra, of someone that you felt you could turn to for advice and help as you navigated that course? Yes, I had. I was very fortunate to have both male and female leaders that serve both as mentors and sponsors. And there's a difference, right? A mentor is somebody who works with you on a specific skill set. A sponsor is somebody who gets behind you in your career. They, they see the potential in you and they continue to give you really challenging assignments and they continue to be an advocate for you to be able to get other roles and other assignments. And so I was fortunate to have both male and female mentors and sponsors. And what I would say is the value that they brought to me career-wise is they always saw more in me than I saw in myself. And very early on, they suggested I create a personal board of directors. And so for probably the last two decades of my career, I've had a personal board of directors that's been made up of sponsors, mentors, best friends who know you really well, that can kind of advise and be a sounding board as you consider taking your next step, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what served me well. And that's part of how, you know, I moved into information security. One of my sponsors said, this is the right thing for you to go do. And then to move from Lockheed to Verizon and the Verizon to CVS Health, those mentors and sponsors have been just, you know, a critical part wow. of my career and my decision making with regards to my career. That is awesome. That's a great story. Lauren, how about you? Yeah, similarly, I've had a lot of, you know, male and female mentors and sponsors over my career. And I think for me at the beginning, I started with professors, key administrators, managers. And then what happened is over my career, as I shifted from more of the day-to-day hands-on technical work into the leadership, my mentors, my coaches, my sponsors switched from being internal and a lot of in my own organization to at other organizations. So I started learning a lot more about how to lead people, how to build a team, how to transition. A lot of, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how I've switched sectors a lot. What I like there is the information security and the passion stays the same, but you learn a little bit more about how the world works, about how a new industry and a new company works. So similarly, when I've built my board of directors, I like to make sure that it really has that breadth in terms of industry and, and in terms of perspective. Um, because I want to make sure that I'm not so internally focused on, you know, how to build a great cybersecurity team that I'm also able to build out and, and bring in what's going on in the world and what do we need to do differently 
based on how our field is changing and how other fields are changing. That, I have to admit, that's the first time I've heard of personal board of directors. I think that's such an awesome idea and a great way to classify it and bringing in other perspectives is, is awesome. So diversity is a big topic nowadays. The, the value of having a diverse team is always talked about and, and championed. But have you seen a change of the conversation of diversity from when you first started out in your career to where you are now in the conversations that tend to be happening now? I can throw it out to either one of you who wants to answer first. Chandra? Yeah, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to. I, you know, I think for me, I have probably three decades in from a career perspective, right? And so starting back as a female engineer, I was the only one at meetings in a heavy, heavily male-dominated industry. I was in the defense industry at the time. And so diversity was not as much of a discussion. I was benefited by the mentors and the people around me that helped me move my career forward and grow. And the discussion really started to change probably in the last 15 years, I'd say significantly change. And a decade ago, when I started being a CISO, I used to be one of the few, one of the few female CISOs, you know, at a Fortune Fortune 100 company. And now they're a lot more prevalent. And I'm really excited about that. I still think, you know, there's a lot more work to do. Like, I'll give you an example. Like two weeks ago, I had somebody reach out and they were trying to schedule a meeting with some people that work for me and myself. And I got an email that said, hey, you know, it looks like Chandra can't make that meeting. It'd really be great if he could come and if he could meet with with us and the guys. And I literally said to myself, wow, this hasn't happened in like (laughs) eight, nine, 10 years, you know. So it was a mentoring moment for a young person. But It happens, you know, less frequently in terms of, oh, you're the most senior person in the room and you're you're a woman. And I'm really thrilled about that. I think the the discussion for us in the cyber field is how do we you know, when I compare it to other engineering fields, they're able to get a lot more women and diversity in terms of minority right minority in roles. And what I want to see is minorities and women in all roles at all levels. Like there should not be any glass ceiling. There shouldn't be any restrictions on that. And so I think our attention now is turning to how do we support a diverse candidate, a minority or a female Mm -hmm. through their continuum of their career, right? So that they can have an opportunity to be in any role at any level in the cybersecurity field. And so I'm excited about where we're headed, but I do think we've got to continue the discussion and continue to pay it forward and bring more diverse diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity mm-hmm. of gender and experience forward into our field. Well, that's great. Lauren, how about you? Yeah. Um, so when I was back in college, I remember being a member of the Society of Women Engineers, and I was the only computer scientist in, in our college campus group. And I remember thinking about that as like how I built my community, everybody I was in my classes with. Similarly, I was the the one woman, you know, in in a lot of my engineering and my computer science classes. What I thought was interesting, though, is going from university and and into my first full-time job, what I started seeing is similar organizations, internal ones, bringing women together. But what I found is it was bringing a lot of you know, young ladies right out of school together. And it was a lot more of a a social atmosphere. What I've seen since 
is I've now seen, you know, those same kind of organizations, the employee resource groups at different companies, they are getting all levels. And what I find is it starts at the top. When you get, you know, your your senior female leaders that are in your executive committee, regardless of whether they're in the, the cybersecurity realm or another realm, getting them involved and then getting that where the programming and the the activity, it's catering to people at all levels in their career, not just different levels of seniority within the organization, but also different levels of their life, right? Some people are about to have kids, some have kids, some are taking care of their parents. And I think putting that into the programming and the targeting has really made a difference. It, it's gone from more of a social organization to a true support organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I've seen is the build out, not just of these university communities, but now they're wider communities. Like I think of WISIS, Women in Cybersecurity, a lot of organizations like that that are kind of coming up grassroots and building out a community and making it really so it's not just, all right, I'm already at a company. I already got there. Now what resources are there? But how do I get to get that first job? Or how do I mid-career make that transition? Getting a lot of those resources, that's what I've seen as as the major transition. I'd say in the last 10 years is the, we're all going to help each other regardless of where we're working right now. No, oh, Interesting. And going back to the sponsorship and mentorship conversation that we had, I'm sure you both have been approached by colleagues and, and people coming up. So how do you approach that, Lauren, when folks ask you and what's your take on the role you would like to provide in that space? Um, honestly, with, with folks at my company, you know, obviously I'm, I'm able to provide a little more one-on-one direct support. But what I've done to try to build it out further outside of of my company, there's a, a fellow female CISO that built a, an organization called Rockstars. And what she does is every two weeks, she'll pair us up with somebody, either someone going through a transition in cybersecurity, trying to figure out how to get in, trying to figure out, well, cybersecurity is such a wide domain. Where do their skills best fit? And so what I found with that is you tend to meet once, you know, maybe an hour or two, depending on how the conversation takes off. But it's a way to have a broader impact and kind of do one time mentoring where I may not be able to consistently meet with somebody to that true level of sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Chandra, how about you? Well, I think from a mentorship and a sponsorship, you've got to be very explicit about what you're looking for in that mentorship, not just to connect with somebody because they hold a certain title. So I think you need to be strategic about when you seek spending time in a mentoring role. For me, what I found from a scaling perspective, it's difficult in one-on-ones to scale. And so you really need to look at group roundtable mentoring forums, you know, small leadership forums or cohorts where you can take a small group of people that builds a network and you can kind of mentor kind of in a multi-group. And then if you have to do side sessions, you can do that. But I do think there's a lot that individuals can do without, if they're not in a roundtable mentoring or if they're not in a formal one-on-one mentoring, because you can continually learn through people you work with without them being dubbed, you know, a mentor. But that personal board of directors 
is just, to me, just such a critical component of somebody that on an ongoing basis is going to be invested in you Mm -hmm. and is willing to take the time to really help you as you kind of go through your professional career and make decisions about your, you know, things you want to do. And I love that you have people outside the industry, but who know you and so can give that perspective as well, which is really interesting. It's good. Well, as we wrap up the discussion, which has been great talking with both of you, any final thoughts to share words of wisdom to young professionals, especially young female professionals out there, but certainly not only for them, given that this is Women's History Month? Any thoughts? Chandra, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, I would say be willing to take on roles that are bigger than you and that you think you're not prepared for, because through those roles, you will go. Number one, you will grow. You will go and you will grow. The second one is it's okay not to get the job you really wanted that you interviewed for, because you need to think about your career on this continuum. And so that job that you really wanted I will tell you some of the best things happened to me when I didn't get that job I really wanted. And in the moment, it was disappointing. But now looking back on it, it was like, you know, really great thing that I didn't get that job that I really wanted. And then the third thing we've talked about, the personal board of directors, find a few people with different experiences and background that can work with you over the next several years of your career and invest in them and the relationships with them. It will pay off tenfold as you move through your career and make really important decisions about where you spend your time and your talent. That's great. Good luck and go get them. (laughs) I love it. Great. Lauren, so same to you, your words of wisdom. So what brought me to InfoSec, you know, aside from the problem solving and, and the challenges and what really keeps me excited is that it's one of the few industries where anybody coming from any background, any education level, any interest can find a way to be successful. And I think that's something that makes us unique. I love when you see people, you know, where they just got intrigued and and they went online and and they they took a training class or they tried a, a different challenge or they went to their first conference and just started talking to people there. So I would say find the facets of information security that really intrigue you the most. Ask the hard questions and see where you can make a difference. You're going to have a unique background, a unique skill set, a unique perspective. Make sure you look for something where you think that that uniqueness can shine through. And what's going to happen is other people will see your drive and your impact, and they're going to want to go on the journey with you. I think that that's what's great about our field is we all sponsor each other in a way and we all want to make the field better for all of us. I think when I left the government, the thing that that I thought was the most interesting when I joined the private sector was it didn't matter who you're competing with. Cybersecurity, CISOs, our teams we all cut together across industries. And I think that's really powerful, right? That's even what the RHISAC is. And and that is unique to our field. Yeah, no, you're right. It is. It's it's a great thing to have when you can reach across to companies that are competitors, but within information security, we're all working to the same goal. It's great to see. Well, you guys are busy. I really appreciate your time spent with us today on this podcast. And congratulations on Women's History Month and being such successful women and role models to a lot of people out there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So we're going to take a quick break. 
and hear a message from our sponsor, Fortinet. Stick around, because after that, Alex and I are going to chat about our upcoming in-person events. Today's show is brought to you by Fortinet. Fortinet provides retailers with top-rated cybersecurity solutions covering the expanding attack surface. Advantages include centralized visibility and management, lower TCO, and top performance. Proven threat protection and seamless fabric integration delivers better, faster response to attacks across the entire network, including point-of-sale systems and other devices carrying sensitive information. And Fortinet helps simplify compliance with PCI DSS and other regulations. As digital innovation and the need to provide always-on customer experiences drive network transformation, retail cybersecurity has become more vital. It's essential to have a security partner that can provide simplified security and networking to keep customers' data safe and enable a superior consumer experience. For more information, contact the Fortinet team at retail at fortinet.com. Welcome back, everybody. I've got Alex back here with me, and we're going to talk a little bit about the transition back to live events, what you can expect for spring regional workshops, and, of course, the summit in September. So, Alex, to kick things off, do you want to tell us a little bit of background about who you are and the RHISAC? Sure. Thanks for the opportunity, Susie. I'm glad to be here to talk about our 2022 portfolio of events. RHISAC members may see my name come up as Alexandra Brown, but I'm Alex. I'm the director of events here at the RHISAC. I started working here back in 2017, and at that time I was part of the membership team, so working on content development for events and then helping to manage some of our special interest working groups. Our event offerings have grown substantially since then. I have also moved into a new role where I oversee our entire event portfolio. So that includes things like webinars and workshops, CISO roundtables, networking events, and of course, our annual summit. It's been really interesting to see how the RHISAC has evolved over the last five years. And I'm really proud to be part of helping to bring our community together through events. Yeah, so you were here during the fun transition into virtual events in 2020. Can you tell us briefly what that was like? (laughs) Yes. Well, much like the rest of the world, we didn't know just exactly what we were being faced with when coronavirus first came to the U.S. back at the beginning of 2020. So at that time, our team was planning for our 2020 workshops. We had a lot of internal conversations about what we were going to do and if we would need to move events online. And then eventually it became clear that that was the only path forward. So we worked with our hosts and our member stakeholders and also our sponsors to transition the events to become online only or what we call virtual. It was a challenge for our team to learn how to take the main elements of events that our folks love so much. Things like networking with peers, having informal conversations and still do that well when everyone was working from home. So we learned a lot over the last few years, and I'm really thankful that our participants have always been understanding and supportive while we work out the kinks and figure out how to execute in a virtual world. I think our members enjoyed the events that we held, uh, and I also think that both me and our members are thrilled to be transitioning back to the real world for many of our 2022 programs. Well, I can say from my view, uh, you did an awesome job and the team did well. And our members were, like you said, very helpful. And they also just said how great a job it was uh, that you guys did to try and keep that interconnectedness. So thanks so much. But we are so excited to finally be getting back out there in in-person events. So, yeah, give us a little bit of how that decision was made and when and where we go and where do we go from here? 
Yeah. So uh, it has always been RHI SAC's goal to get back to in-person events as soon as we felt that it was safe and appropriate to do so. As a community that is focused on sharing, building trust, and nurturing personal relationships, it's critical to our success to be able to be together. There's no way to strengthen that trust than by spending time in person with others. So our team has had an ear to the ground throughout the whole pandemic, asking for feedback from members on just what their comfort level with being in person is, what their company's corporate travel policies look like, and frankly, what the financial feasibility is from an organizational standpoint. Uh, Many information security departments chose to reduce or remove travel budgets altogether back in 2020. As you can imagine, it's an easy line item to remove when travel doesn't seem likely anyway. So now leaders are working to get approval for travel again. In our most recent survey of the members, 64% of respondents said that they or their team would attend an in-person workshop within their region. And of those who said they plan to attend the annual summit this September, 80% indicated that they will also be bringing fellow team members. So we have listened to our community, worked to understand and follow CDC guidance as it's changed, and also looked at our peer organizations like the other ISACs to see how they're approaching going back in person. All of those things have helped us to make this decision to have in-person events again this year. Well, I know what most people are excited about before the summit are regional workshops. So can you tell us specifically what we can expect from the spring program lineup? Yes. Uh, Thank you for asking. We're kicking off our in-person lineup of programs with regional workshops. It will be starting this spring. So we are holding four full-day events either at or around member company headquarters. Our first program will be at the Hyatt headquarters on May 5th in Chicago, Illinois. And then we'll also be holding events mid-May with host member Raising Canes in the Dallas Plano area and Victoria's Secret in Columbus, Ohio. And then we're going to end our series down in Tampa, Florida at Masonite's headquartered offices. Uh, that is going to take place on June 2nd. So these events are intended to bring together small groups, mostly of operational level practitioners, and it will include presentations from members, threat briefings from selected sponsors, and then also we'll be dedicating a lot of time for facilitated discussion and networking. The listeners can learn more about these programs by visiting rhisac.org forward slash events. Awesome. So excited to get that going again. And thanks to all of our member companies willing to host these and, and to be sponsoring on these. So Really excited about that. Um, on the strategic level, I know we have a couple of things also. We have the in-person CISO meeting coming up in May, so really excited about that. And I know we have some other exciting things that we're exhibiting at and pulling members together, even across the pond. So give us a little that, information about that. Yeah, that's right. So we're taking the show on the road, so to speak. We will be hosting networking events at industry conferences because that's where we know that our members are already going to be. So if you're a CISO attending RSA in San Francisco this June, don't miss our CISO breakfast on June 8th. And if you're located in Europe, we will be hosting a networking happy hour in conjunction with the Info Security Europe conference on June 22nd. Uh, We will also likely have a program during Black Hat this fall. And then also to wrap up the year, we have our own conference in Plano, Texas in September. So I know registration has just opened, and I know that you are hard at work working on the program. So can you tell us a little bit about developing the content for that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're in pretty early stages of planning the 2022 summit. 
But each year, the planning process begins with our members. Uh, I'm constantly looking to learn what's top of mind, what key challenges need to be addressed, and who folks want to hear from at the event. So to get this feedback, we form a summit working group, which is a governing body of members who represent the various industries and roles that we serve. Uh, That includes participants from companies like Ulta Beauty, PetSmart, Skechers, uh, Expedia, and Canadian Tire. Uh, Those folks provide oversight on the agenda and ensure that we're meeting the mark each year with our content development. We also ask our members to fill out a member interest survey. That helps to aggregate our topics of interest. So, so far this year, security operations and threat intelligence are two content areas that are leading the pack with incident response and vulnerability management taking the top spots as far as security operations goes, and then tradecraft and sources and feeds are leading for threat intelligence. So based on that feedback, we then work to source and align sessions and speakers who home in on those key areas, and we'll make sure that those themes are emphasized throughout the conference. So folks interested in this event can find program updates, including speakers and agenda announcements on our summit website, which is summit.rhisac.org. Well, that's awesome. Sounds like we're already on a good way in planning another stellar program for the summit. Thanks so much, Alex. And I know you just provided the summit information, the address where they can go, but can you tell our listeners where they can find more information about our upcoming events in general? Yeah, absolutely. We're really excited for the entire spectrum of programs this year. So please visit rhisac.org forward slash events to see our current list of programs. You can also see updates as members on the member newsletter that comes out each Monday. Other folks can subscribe to our broad newsletter, which goes out every Wednesday. Uh, And you can always email events at rhisac.org for more information or to learn how to get involved. Well, you heard it here, folks. A lot of great plans for some in-person events coming up. So please get excited and get registered. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the RHISAC podcast. Stay tuned every month for two new episodes featuring interviews, threat intel, threat trends, and event news. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss it. Thanks so much. Alex, thanks. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Susie. Good to talk to you.